We are in a, a series right now looking at four different Hebrew words. Uh, chesed, which has to do with God's covenantal love and, and his commitment to us. Uh, Sadiq, which has to do with righteousness and the righteous way of life that God calls us into. Mishpat, which has to do with God's justice and, and the, the way of life he, he calls us into in terms of how we, we care for others. And then today, the word shalom, which has to do with flourishing. I, I was trying to figure out how best to describe shalom and, and maybe give some, some images that would help us. And, and one of the places where, where it made sense to me, to at least to start, was in a time when I was in a, a, a play. I was in the, uh, a drama, and it was actually a musical, and actually, at one point on our tour, when I was grade 10 living in the States, we performed it here. We did a trip here. It was back in 80-something. Um, <laughs> but we did that here, and I was dressed up. I had high-top shoes on and a funny hat, and I danced across what was the stage up here way back when, Yeah. Uh, but it, it was, a, it was a, a drama, and as we were doing that drama, the, the times where things clicked, where everything worked the way it was supposed to, every person was on cue, every lighting change that was supposed to happen happened when it did, the mics, all the technical stuff worked the way they were supposed to, and we got done, and there was a deep satisfaction that we had done our best, and that everything that could have gone right went right. Nothing went wrong with the performance. And there was a sense of, ah, that was good, that was right. Everyone did their part. That's a glimpse of shalom. I've heard people who are in symphonies. I am not a musical person. I fought with my parents to get out of choir and band and successfully got out of both by grade nine. I regret it now in life. Back then I was pretty proud of it. But it was, I listen to people who have engaged in music for most of their lives, and they talk about the performance in a symphony orchestra or going to a symphony where everybody is on cue with each other and all the instruments, and you can hear the way each of them contribute. And you get this overwhelming sense of something that's bigger than each of the people playing. There's something else going on when all those parts come together and, and you're caught up in the music and in the moment. And some of that is a glimpse of shalom. Where something of all these little parts have been brought together and, and when they come together, you recognize something bigger is happening. Something grander is going on. Something of grandeur is happening. Shalom is along those lines. Lines of a symphony or a play that goes well, where everyone has a part to play and everybody contributes to it, and in the end you see something you never imagined possible. God's shalom is that much it is like that, but it is so much bigger. It is on the cosmic scale. It's, as some philosophers talk about, it's the whole universe singing a symphony and playing in a symphony together. 
where each little creature, a uh, part of creation, plays a part in this grand symphony. And it's when they all come together that something right and good has happened. It gets us back to that point, maybe you remember in the creation story where God is, is ticking off the days and he's creating each day. He says, at the end of the first day, God said it was good. But when he gets to the end of the sixth day, just before he rests, that deep satisfaction rest that God takes, he says, it's very good. Shalom is entering into that very good where God rests and we rest and we go, ah, this is right. The challenge with shalom is we can look all over the world and we have nothing tangible to say there's where it is in fullness. We only glimpse it in part. We only glimpse the shalom of Scripture in part. And so shalom becomes this thing in the Old Testament of a promise from God, a command that we're supposed to work toward, but also fundamentally a deep longing, a longing of God's people that one day God would come and make everything right and that shalom would fill not only the earth, but would fill the entire creation, everything that God has made would be wrapped up inside of his shalom. By the end of the message, which will be a little shorter today than normal, we'll start touching on that shalom and that hope as we end up back in Revelation. But I want to start with a story that actually comes just before the chapter that, that uh, Jessica read for us. It's one that's familiar. In my five, little bit over five years here, it's actually been, this text has actually been preached five different times, not by me. Uh, we've had guest ministers come in and they've preached on it a couple times. Dwayne Klein came here once and preached on it as part of a Chew City thing. And Victor Larman, who, by the way, is getting ordained next week Saturday up in Collingwood. Victor was, uh, for those of you who don't know, has been a longtime member here. He just took a call to a church up in in Collingwood, Ontario. He's be, being ordained Saturday, so keep him in your prayers this week. But, but several people have preached on this text, and this text is it's Jeremiah 29. So just back a few pages. And, and it's, it's written to the people of Israel as they're in exile, and, and you've got to recognize with what was happening here, there was multiple layers of exile happening. The, the exile of the people, there was actually one wave that Nebuchadnezzar took off of a bunch of, of the leaders of the people and the princes and kind of the people in power. And he left a bunch of the poor people behind and a few other folks. And, and then he came back later and took even more people so that the, the city was eventually completely devastated. And Jeremiah is writing to the first group as they've been taken away to, to Babylon, and they are in Babylon, and they, they are saying to each other, any day now, God's going to come and take us back to Jerusalem, and everything will be okay. Everything will be set right again if we could only get back to Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah is writing to those, and he says this in chapter 29, verses 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. you too will prosper. We don't hear the word shalom in the English, but the the phrase that they're trying to capture it with is peace and prosperity. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Seek the shalom of the city I've carried you into. I don't want to dwell a whole long time on this, but there's a command here that God's giving to the people of Israel even before he gets to them about the assurances that one day he will restore them. He's taking them to a place that seems so foreign, so far away from God. Some of them are doubting that God has even even remembered them anymore. And he's saying to them, while you're there, do for them what you want me to do for you. What you want me to do for you is to prosper you, to make you flourish again, to give you a life of comfort and peace where everything makes sense. Do that for the people I've brought you to. Go out to them. Seek their good. Seek their well-being. Pour yourself into them. And probably the most discouraging thing they heard because they thought they were going to come back in a year or two was get married. (laughs) Have kids. Give your kids in marriage so that they can have kids. Do you hear the long-term nature of this? You know, we live in a culture of easy fixes, and when it comes to shalom, we're always looking for what can we could do today to make everything better, right? We learn that as little kids. We want to run to our mom or our dad and, and have them make it all better for us. And as a parent, we want to fix things when our kids are struggling and when they're hurting. We want to jump in and make everything right. There's something about that 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 grabs at our hearts. We want to fix things, and we want to fix things now. God says, my plan to fix Babylon is actually going to involve you being there, we hear later in Jeremiah, for over 70 years. For 70 years, I need you, my people, to be in Babylon and to learn to love the Babylonian people and learn to love the city that I've brought you to to give us some perspective on the relationship between Israel and Babylon, I have a hard time today grabbing hold of that, but but perhaps it would say taking someone here from Canada and sticking them in the middle of Iraq where ISIS has control and saying, go love those people. Go dwell with them. Seek the good of that area of the world. That's how radical this sounded. Pour yourself in the people you have for your whole life considered to be your enemies. Historically, we have used other examples to illustrate this and said it would be like saying the people in the Netherlands go to Hitler's Berlin and seek the peace and prosperity of Berlin while Hitler was still in charge. It gets at 
the heart of how radical this command is. Seek the peace and welfare, the well-being of the people you consider your enemies. No wonder Jesus says later, love your enemies. This is part of God's teaching all through Scripture. We are called to seek the well-being even of those who have postured themselves and done things to harm us. It is a hard word, people. It is a hard word that takes a lifetime of learning how to do. And even then, we don't ever get there, really, this side of heaven. It calls us into places of sacrifice and struggle and pain and grief and sorrow. There's a hint of a promise here in Jeremiah 29, and the hint of the promise is this. For in their prosperity, you will find your prosperity. As you seek their well-being, you will discover your own. Chapter 33 actually starts getting at that a little bit more. What was read, Jessica's read a, a, a passage to us where, where God is, is giving another word through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is in chains in the city of Jerusalem, God's chosen city, which is desolated at this point. And people are starving and, and they don't have food anymore and they can't take care of their kids. And, and there are all sorts of descriptions in, in both Jeremiah and Lamentations of how desperate it has gotten. And in the midst of the desperation and in the midst of the hopelessness in the place where nothing makes sense anymore, God says, but know this. I am going to rebuild the city. And not only am I going to rebuild the city, I'm going to take away the sin that marred it, that distorted it, that led to its destruction. I'm going to remove from your people everything that turned them away from me and from my ways and broke my shalom. And I'm going to give them shalom. It's not something that they're going to be able to earn. They've proven they can't earn it. It's not something they're going to be able to, to justify and say, we did it, look at what we've accomplished. I'm going to give it as a gift. And the amazing part of this text, it wasn't just a spiritual thing. In fact, in that passage, the last thing mentioned is the offerings in the priests. What's mentioned before it is something like this. There's going to be pasture land for sheep. I mean, of all the things God could have said to the people of Israel to comfort them, he talked about the sheep. And he said, I'm going to grow grass that sheep can eat. Are you comforted yet? I mean, that's what I want to say to you. Uh, come on. But he says, I'm going to restore this place so much that even the sheep will be able to flourish. They're going to come pouring in so that as they enter Jerusalem, there's going to be someone there who's counting them as they come in. You're going to need someone to count the number of sheep because they're going to flourish so much. They're going to come into the city. It's going to be amazing. And it's not just around Jerusalem. He says, the tribe of Benjamin on the western foothills of the Negev, one of those desolated wilderness places. 
The sheep are going to find pasture land even there. Everything is going to be restored, not just in the city of Jerusalem, but all around it. And more than that, all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth who hear this are going to be filled with awe and tremble at the goodness of God. They're going to be filled with awe and tremble at the goodness of God. As I was reading these texts and putting them together, you got, you got stay in Babylon, work hard, pour yourself into the peace of your enemies so that they flourish. And this text where God says, people of Israel, take comfort. I'm going to bless you and prosper you and cause your place to flourish again. Your city, the place you love, is going to flourish and you're going to see it. I had to ask, Lord, how do we get from there to there? How do we make that jump from being wrapped up in our enemies and feeling like we've been dragged to a place that we don't understand and get to a place where everything makes sense and everything's flourishing and the whole world sees your kingdom? What's in between? Grammatically, in the text, in the way the text is laid out, The chapter halfway in between is Jeremiah 31. And I'd like to read a couple verses from it. Starting at verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God promises a Savior. He promises a new covenant, a new relationship wrapped up as we hear foretold here in the person of Jesus Christ who comes to make all things new, to forgive wickedness and sins, to remove them from the people, to make a whole new way of relating with God's people and with the earth. This promise in Jeremiah 31 ends up getting fulfilled And the promise in Jeremiah 33 as well gets fulfilled in the end of Revelation. It's a beautiful place. We read it at the start of the service where where the kings of the nation bring in their glory and their produce, their splendor, into the city of God. And, And the city of God itself flourishes with the river of life going through the middle of it. And as it goes through the middle of that city, 12, or the tree of life is growing and it produces 12 crops of fruit a year. 12 crops of fruit each year. And even the leaves of those trees become a healing 
balm to the nations of the earth. You think about the wars among the earth, most of the wars between our nations really have to do with economics and fighting, fighting over resources. They have to do with conflict over who controls the natural resources in our world. Who controls the power to control those resources? And here you see at the end of Revelation this gift of God that the nations will experience healing through the tree and the flourishing of life that is in the city of Jerusalem. God's promises being fulfilled. So how do we live in this storyline? And give us two quick things, and then I'm going to invite Darren Brower to come up and share his testimony. Two quick things. One is, is lament. A posture of lament. It's a posture that we can stand with, with the people of Israel as they were in Babylon, a, a lamenting, saying, Lord, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. We see the brokenness of Babylon. We see it worshiping other gods. We see the injustice that is here. We lament the brokenness that's there and we lament the brokenness in our own lives that led us to be exiled here. We know it's not just them, it's us too. So a posture of lament as we engage the world around us, but also a posture of celebration. A posture of celebration every time we glimpse shalom. So we glimpse something through Josh and and his friends at Redeemer and other students who go down and, and stand on the street and they develop relationships with people they otherwise never would have interacted with. And we see those relationships not just for a short one night, but developed months and years. So people experience the community of God's presence together. We hear it in what Ulyssa said and, and, and the struggle to, to come along who gets the resources in the city and how agencies are collaborating now in ways they didn't before so that they can come alongside women and children who have struggled against violence and other things that they have experienced that they should never have to experience. We hear it in Peter who's talking about the unity of the body of Christ that's suddenly coming together in different ways in this city as they learn to care for the city and pray over the city. Celebrate. Tell those stories. In the coming weeks, we're going to hear testimonies from a few other people as well as they talk about the ways God has been at work in their life. And I invite you, I invite you to consider if you have a story you'd like to tell. to share with us a way that God's been at work in your life, in this city or somewhere else around the world, but how you have seen God at work. And if you would like to add your voice to the stories that are being told, feel free to kick me an email or call me, let me know. We'll find a way to wrap your story in so that we can encourage each other and build each other up. And along those lines, I'm going to invite Darren forward. Darren, if you would come up and and share with us uh, what you have prepared.